We're going to read just a little bit of scripture, uh, and it's uh, Acts chapter 5, uh, verses 27 through 29. Here's what uh, Dr. Luke writes. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Of course, they're referring to Jesus. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Let's uh, let's pray this morning as we uh, look into your word. Lord, we thank you for um, the peace of God that you can bring into our hearts and life. Thank you most of all for uh, the fact that when we put our faith in Jesus, we make our peace treaty with you. We can have peace with God, but we also thank you that we can have the peace of God, that promise from Philippians chapter 4, that when we bring our our prayer requests and our burdens and all that's going on in our life with thanksgiving to you, that you promise to keep and guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and you can give us a supernatural peace. We can be like the eye in the midst of a hurricane because we know you, and we know that you use um, everything that happens in our life, ultimately if we have our faith in you, for our good, our spiritual good, and for your glory. So we thank you for that, and we pray that you would now open up our hearts to what you have for us today. Thank you for the Word of God. Uh, Thank you that uh, the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and speak to us. And so, like Samuel uh, said in the Old Testament, may we say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then, Lord, help us not just to be hearers of your Word, but help us to put it into practice. And we know that blessing will follow that. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but um, summer seemed to fly by uh, for uh, me and uh, you. Uh, winter goes a little slower in my mind. But uh, here we are, uh, kind of rounding the home of another summer in the books and uh, falls right around the corner and, uh, and uh, all sorts of good things that come with, uh, with fall. But uh, we'll uh, continue on here. Uh, just with our personal journey, uh, um, we're ready to make, or I'm ready to make my eighth round trip to the back to Muskegon and back. Looking forward to being in one spot. So we're, f- we're finishing up our uh, Maranatha ministry, and in a couple of weeks, I'll give you an overall report of uh, some great things that have happened on that side of the state. And uh, so n- next Sunday, we're going to be wrapping that up. Uh, Crap, uh, let me, let me start, let me start over. Packing up. Do we have a, do we have a delete button here? Um, packing up a craft room is what I want to say. And, uh, although that other word might describe it as well. <coughs> and, uh, and then, uh, <clears throat> now I'm getting all choked up. <clears throat> And uh, actually, our, our 46th anniversary is next Sunday, so we'll try to squeeze in a little celebration. Uh, Jody Reith Miller will be here next Sunday, our former pastor, and we'll be back Sunday night. Let me say one other thing, uh, and this really uh, bothers me, but um, my cell phone bit the dust yesterday morning at about 6.30, and that just greatly 
disturbs me because uh, that's my lifeline to communication and phone calls and texting. So uh, hopefully by uh, tomorrow night, I've got a new phone and uh, back back into connection with people. And isn't it interesting how vitally dependent we become on uh, those devices that uh, can help us uh, stay in touch with uh, with people. All right, we're in the book of Acts, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 5, and this message is entitled Unstoppable, and so we'll look at a rather long section of the text here, Acts 5, 12 through 42. But someone said you haven't found something worth living for until you found something worth dying for. You haven't found anything living for, uh, worth living for until you find something worth dying for, and uh, I think that's, that's true in, in life. For the apostles, and we're going to see this in the book of Acts, they were willing to die for their faith in Jesus. And as we're going to see at the end of the message, um, almost every one of them did. The apostle John's the only one that lived a long life, and he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. The rest of the apostles died as martyrs for their faith in Jesus. And so we're going to see... Um, the apostles and their commitment to the gospel and uh, the Holy Spirit that's now in their lives and uh, how it transformed them, how it changed them. And so we're going to look at the, the text here, Acts chapter 5, uh, go through an outline, and then we'll look at four life lessons from, from this text. So uh, let's begin, first of all, with the apostles' miracles. That's where we're going to start in verse 12. Let me read verses 12 through 16. <clears throat> the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. <clears throat> Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So we see the growth of the early church. Started with 120. Pentecost comes, 3,000 people enter the kingdom. Now there's 3,120. Later on, Dr. Luke says, now there's 5,000 in the church. And a little later on here, it talks about that the church continues to, to grow and God continues to add to their number. It says in verse 15, as a result, people brought the sick into their streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So this is interesting in, in the first century. And we read in, in Luke chapter 9 that Jesus gave the disciples power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate that. And so God gave the apostles the authority to work miracles. Why did he do that? God wanted to authenticate these men as true messengers of God. We see that in the Old Testament, too. What was a, a genuine prophet of God was authenticated by the fact that that prophet could do miracles. And so here it says that the, the apostles are performing miracles and so much so that some people were, were bringing their sick loved ones into the streets. They were hoping that Peter's shadow would go over them and heal them. And so 
The apostles are working miracles. The gospel is spreading. And there's all sorts of excitement in the early church. Now, here's the principle we need to remember, is that when God begins to work and do great things, someone else gets busy. You can guarantee it every time. If you begin to get serious about your walk with Jesus, you better be ready to realize that there's someone who doesn't want that to happen and that there's a spiritual battle going on in the Christian life, Ephesians chapter 6. And so the church is growing, and as we looked at last week, uh, Ananias and Sapphira come in, and and uh, they do this little plot and deception, and uh, God strikes them both dead. And as we're going to see this morning, uh, great opposition rises up against the apostles. So the apostles are working miracles, and... Uh, Here's uh, the flow of the text. We discover the, the arrest, the arrest, verses 17 and 18. Uh, then the high priest and all the associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. So the religious power structure of the day, the religious elite were jealous of the apostles. They were jealous of the growing early church. They were jealous of all the uh, attention that they got. Uh, one of the sects, the uh, Sadducees, did not believe in the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, and that's what the apostles were preaching. So they're going to try to stop this movement. This is they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail. So here we see all through the book of Acts, very common thread that uh, wherever the apostles are preaching, a lot of times they end up in prison and that happens through the Apostle Paul's life and ministry as, as well. And so they arrest them. I wonder what their charges were. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to arrest you, what, for, for preaching the gospel? For proclaiming truth? And so the apostles are put into prison. And that's where then God begins to, uh, to work. And we read about an angel of the Lord intervening. Look at verses 19 and 20. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And so this is the first of several jailbreaks that happens in the book of Acts. That the apostles are in prison and uh, God sends an angel opens the door at night and, and lets the apostles out and then gives them this instruction, go back and continue to preach the gospel. And that's exactly what happened. God miraculously delivers the apostles from this, uh, this prison cell. And uh, let's continue to read the storyline here. And this is a rather long uh, section here we're going to read, but it's, it's part of the narrative and we've got to get the whole picture here. So let's look at the appearance before the Sanhedrin uh, council. Here's what happened. At daybreak, so they didn't waste any time, the apostles, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. The apostles could have said, let's wait a little bit. Let's let things calm down. Things are a little, little tense right now, and, and then we'll continue preaching. Nope. The very next morning at daybreak, they are back in the temple courts and they are preaching the gospel. And uh, 
Here's what, uh, how the storyline continues. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. So now they're going to bring the apostles before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the day, the Jewish religious Supreme Court. The Sanhedrin was made up of 70 men, and the high priest was the head of the Sanhedrin, and uh, they're going to deal with uh, these apostles and what they believe is heresy uh, that they're 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 teaching and preaching. So now they're going to send and and they want the apostles brought from the jail to the Sanhedrin. But it says arriving at the jail, verse twenty-two, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with a guard standing at the door. But when we opened them, there's nobody inside. They're gone. And and so they're befuddled, like, where did these guys go? We found the jail uh, securely locked. Nobody's in there. And it says, on hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Picture this in your mind. They're they're standing before 70 men and a high priest. These are the same men who were instrumental in putting Jesus to death. And now these are the followers, and uh, they have that that power to do that. The, The apostles' lives are at stake. And so um, they're, they're brought before the Sanhedrin, and they're questioned, and here's what they're told. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. You filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And as we just read in our scripture reading, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings, rather than men. And then he preaches a little sermon to him. Peter never uh, passes that opportunity up. Listen to Peter's boldness. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God's exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. What was the reaction of the Sanhedrin? When they heard this, they were furious. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to put him to death. They wanted to do to the apostles what they did to their leader, Jesus. And so the apostles' lives are hanging in the balance. And God uses a man by the name of Gamaliel, one of the, one of the 70 men in the Samhedrin, and he's placed them there to intervene. Listen what happens. This is but a Pharisee named Gamaliel. And uh, this is the next part of the, the outline here, the, the address by Gamaliel. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a while. So they kind of go into closed session. And now Gamaliel is going to remind them of some, some history. And God's going to use Gamaliel 
to really save the life of the apostles. And here's Gamaliel's speech. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men, verse 35. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers dispersed, and it came to nothing. So there was another movement like this, and it kind of went away. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the, band, in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. So there was another revolt, another movement, and that kind of eventually fizzled. Now listen to the wise words of Gamaliel, this Pharisee. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So, in the midst of this um, try this council and uh, a literal trial that the apostles are facing, the Sanhedrin council and their lives are in their hands, Gamaliel, who is probably an unbeliever. I mean, Gamaliel was not a follower of Jesus. He was part of the the council that put Jesus to death. But he stands up and he says, "Hey, uh, if if this is of God, nobody can stop it." This movement, if it's not of God, it's just going to fizzle on its own. And God used the speech of Gamaliel to touch the hearts of the 69 other men on the Sanhedrin council and the high priest. And rather than killing the apostles, they make a different choice. And uh, here it is. His speech persuaded them. So they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Now, don't just read by that phrase very, very uh, glibly without understanding what that is. They beat those apostles to a pulp. That's what flogging was. And uh, they would be in great, great physical pain. Um, Usually they had a whip with little pieces of bone in it, and, and we've seen this in the, uh, if you watched, uh, uh, the movie about the crucifixion of Jesus, the passion of the Christ, how awful flogging is. So they don't kill them, but they beat them to a pulp. They have them flogged, and then they let them go. And the next few verses are amazing verses in the Bible. And it's the amazing response of the apostles, and let's let's read them in uh, verse 40. Uh, then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Here we are. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Rejoicing. I don't know what you're facing this morning and what challenges in your life. But how in the world could the apostles rejoice after they've been flogged? It says that they left the, the Sanhedrin after being flogged rejoicing. Here's the reason. Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Talk about unstoppable. What did they do after they were told not to talk about Jesus? Verse 42, day 
after day in the temple courts and from house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So what did, what, what did the flogging do? It, it, it made the apostles rejoice. Hey, we get to suffer for the name of Jesus. Maybe they're remembering the teaching of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. If you suffer in any way for taking a stand for the gospel, Jesus says you're going to experience great reward in heaven someday. So the apostles were able to rejoice because we got to suffer for Jesus. And not only that, but the Bible says, what, what does, how does God use suffering in our life? First Peter 5.10, it's to develop our character. It's to develop our Christ-like character. Where do we learn and grow and mature the most in our Christian walk? It's not when everything's going well. It's when times are tough. It's when we're going through some challenges and some trials and maybe even some suffering in our life that we grow in our faith with God. And so Paul in Philippians chapter 3, and he's writing this autobiographical section, and here's the Apostle Paul who spent half of his ministry in in prison, and he's writing his testimony, and he says, I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in the sufferings of Jesus. And so the amazing response of the apostles, they rejoiced that they could suffer for Jesus, And they were unstoppable. They went right back to proclaiming uh, the name of Jesus in the temple courts and in house to house. Well, that's uh, the storyline of Acts chapter 5. In our last uh, 15 minutes or so, we're going to just think about how these truths apply to our lives, some life lessons. And uh, here's the first one uh, from Acts chapter 5. And this is all through Scripture. And um, where are we going to need to know this and have this firm in our hearts, especially as our culture uh, drifts further and further away from uh, God's truth and the transcendent laws that God has established in our world? But it's this, when man's laws and God's laws conflict, we must choose to obey God. We've already seen that a couple times in the in the book of Acts uh, twice so far in our journey through Acts, Acts chapter 4. Here's Peter and John, they're before the Sanhedrin, and uh, they've been called on the carpet, and it says, they commanded them uh, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, and Peter and John replied, um, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to God, you be the judge, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And now a second time, here in Acts chapter 5, they're told, don't teach and preach about Jesus. And what do the apostles do? We're going to choose to obey God rather than man. 
that's all th- that's all through the scriptures and maybe the the first example of of that in uh, the Old Testament was the the Hebrew midwives back in uh, all the way back in the book of Exodus and remember Israel's enslaved in Egypt and uh, the population of of Israel is exploding and the pharaohs afraid that uh, there's going to be a revolt and so he gives a command to the Hebrew midwives and the command is to kill babies. And uh, this is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, when you are helping the Hebrew women deliver during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. That was the Pharaoh's instructions to the midwives. Now the midwives are faced with a choice. Are we going to obey the Pharaoh or are we going to obey God? Verse, uh, the next verse says, the midwives, however, here's the key, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do, but they let the boys live. No, we're, we're gonna obey, we're gonna obey God rather than the king of Egypt. Uh, we see this in the book of Daniel. Remember those three young, um, men now, uh, the nation of Judah's been taken captive. And uh, they're a thousand miles away from home, and they're being indoctrinated into Babylonian culture. And King Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue, 90-foot-tall gold statue. And when the music sounds, everybody is to bow down to the statue. And everybody does, except three Hebrew young boys, young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It almost cost them their lives, but we know the story that, that God delivered them. Same thing with Daniel. Later on in the book of Daniel, they pass a law, no praying to any other God except uh, the national God. And it says, uh, Daniel continued what he did every day. He opened the doors or the windows of his home, and he prayed three times a day to God. And that got him called on the carpet. And he ends up in the lion's den, and God protects him. And the apostles are making this same choice. And so, um, well, we need to make this decision ahead of time that realizing that when man's laws and God's laws conflict, that we must choose to obey God rather than man. And you know that there's a movement in our country to um, silence uh, speech. And uh, actually, if we uh, continue to proclaim some things that are in this book, um, it could down the road get us in big trouble from the culture's standpoint. But we must continue to proclaim the truth of God and speak the truth in, in love. And um, that's uh, that's the first lesson. We must choose to obey God just like the apostles did. Here's the second lesson is this. In God's sovereignty, God uses both believers and unbelievers to accomplish his purposes isn't it interesting that the, the apostles' lives are on the line and he uses Gamaliel, he uses an unbeliever to accomplish his purpose. And God puts it in his heart to stand up and to give this speech. And God moves and he turns the hearts of 69 men on the Sanhedrin council and, and the high priest what to save the life of the apostles God in his sovereignty uses both good and evil to accomplish his plan and purpose. That's all through the Bible. 
The story of Joseph is probably the, the, the most uh, primary example of that. That God used the evil in Joseph's life. His brothers hated him, wanted to do away from him, uh, uh, do away with him, uh, put him in a pit, left him to die, and uh, yet God began to work, and he gets sold as a slave, and he ends up in Egypt. He ends up falsely accused, ends up in prison, forgotten in prison, then interprets the dreams, and now all of a sudden God is orchestrating all these events. And at the end of his life, he's confronted by his 11 brothers, and they're afraid that it's payback time. And Joseph says, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good to save many people alive, and, and he actually saved his own, own family because there was a famine in the, in the land of, of Canaan. Uh, always remember that God uses good and evil to accomplish his purposes. And I love the saying, and we need to be reminded, nothing can happen to me today, nothing good, nothing bad, without first passing through the Father's hand. And so even the injustice that might happen in our life is a part of God's sovereign plan, and God can use that for his glory and our good. Uh, that's the book of Habakkuk, and we studied the book of Habakkuk a number of months ago. And uh, what does God use to, to judge the southern kingdom of Judah and Habakkuk, saying, how long, God, are you going to put up with the sinful actions of your people? When are you going to judge them? And God says, I am going to judge them. And I'm going to use the Babylonians to do it. And now Habakkuk's saying, how can you use the evil Babylonians, who on a scale of wickedness would have been a 9 or a 10, to judge God's people? And God answers and says, well, I'm going to judge the Babylonians as well. But God used that instrument of wickedness to, to judge God's people because God uses both good and both evil to accomplish his purposes. And uh, that was true of the, the crucifixion of Jesus as well, wasn't it? If you read Peter's sermon in, uh, on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 23, Peter says, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So this was all a part of God's plan. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. So uh, Wicked people killed Jesus, but God says that was part of my divine, sovereign plan. And so in his sovereignty, God uses both believers and unbelievers to accomplish his purpose. Uh, two more life lessons here. Here's number three. God's work done God's way is unstoppable. God's work done God's way is unstoppable. Uh, and, and here's the, the words of uh, Gamaliel. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it's going to fa- fail. If you're doing this in your own strength, it's not going to be successful. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. If this is a movement from God, nothing you do will be able to stop it. And that's true, isn't it? That God's work done God's way is unstoppable. Uh, what did Jesus promise in Matthew chapter 16? 
And there, and the disciples are up north in Caesarea Philippi, and he's asking them, who do people say that I am? And Peter gives this uh, great affirmation that uh, you are uh, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on this confession of who I am, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. I'm going to build my church and hell itself and all the powers of Satan and darkness will not be able to stop God from building his church and his kingdom. And so what did persecution do in the early church? Persecution, as we're going to see, fueled the growth of the early church. And the early church started out uh, kind of centralized in, in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we begin to be introduced to a man by the name of Saul who became the chief persecutor of the church. And it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. It started the first great missionary movement. Now the church isn't just staying in Jerusalem, but because of persecution, they're moving out to the surrounding areas, Judea and Samaria. And as they're moving out to those surrounding areas, they're sharing the gospel, and now the church continues to grow. God's work done God's way is unstoppable. And the book of Isaiah says, My word shall not return void. It will accomplish its purposes because there's power in, in, in the word of God and in the gospel. It was the French philosopher Voltaire who made a boast uh, back a couple centuries ago that Christianity and the Bible would be extinct in 100 years. That was what Voltaire said. That was his boast. But what happened? Only 50 years after Voltaire's death, the Geneva Bible Society used his press and house to print Bibles. So the same man that said Christianity is going to be extinct in a 100 years, 50 years after Voltaire was dead, the, the Geneva Bible Society was printing thousands of Bibles in his house and on his printing press. And so we need to be reminded that um, in the end, God wins, doesn't he? And we're on the victory side, and, and God is building his church. Lastly, and then we're done, life lesson number four is this. The fourth life lesson is that suffering is a part of following Jesus. Suffering oftentimes is a part of following Jesus. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life. Verse 11, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Paul was stoned and, and left for dead in, the, in one of those cities. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, sometimes the, God's pathway and calling in our life is, is the road of suffering. The road of suffering. 
First uh, Peter, the book of First Peter, is written to those believers that were were scattered in Acts chapter eight because of persecution. And the theme of the book of First Peter is pain with a purpose. So yes, you're going through suffering and you're going through pain, but God has a purpose in that, and He will redeem uh, all of that pain and all of that suffering. And uh, suffering oftentimes is part of following Jesus. We mentioned that um, all the apostles except John, church history tells us, this isn't found in Scripture, but but uh, Scripture does record the, the death of one of the, the apostles, and that was James. Uh, James is beheaded a little later on in the book of Acts, and we remember Peter and James were both in prison. The church is praying. Peter's released, and John's killed. Uh, so it does record one of the, the, the deaths of the apostles, but um, here's, here's the, according to church tradition and church history, here's what happened to the rest of the apostles. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome in fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy in John 21. Matthew suffered martyrdom in the country of Ethiopia. John was sent into the mines on the prison island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, later on, he died as an old man, the only apostle to die this way. James, the brother of Jesus and leader of the church in Jerusalem, was thrown from the southeast pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny his faith in Jesus. He survived the fall, but his enemies beat him to death. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was murdered for preaching in Armenia. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Greece. The Apostle Thomas was killed in India. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. The Apostle Paul was tortured and then beheaded by the Emperor Nero in Rome in 67 AD. The faith of the Apostles. You haven't found something worth living for till you found something worth dying for. And most of the apostles died for their faith in Jesus. And so our call today is, uh, is to make a commitment to follow Jesus. And one of the things that pervades the 21st century church is comfortable Christianity. <laughs> you know, God, I, I just want a comfortable life and I kind of want to go to church and just do my thing and just make my life comfortable and easy. And God sometimes uh, realizes that what we need, and and um, I think it's coming for the American church down the road, whether it's when it's going to be in my generation, uh, maybe most likely our, our kids' generation, certainly our grandkids' generation, is that it will, you can follow Jesus, it'll come at a great cost. And so we need to be, prepare uh, a, a whole new generation to be willing to what dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone, as the song goes. Dare to take a stand for Jesus in a culture that's going in the opposite direction. And what did Jesus say? You better count the cost of following me. If you want to be my disciple, I want you to take up your cross and I want you to follow me. And the cross was an instrument of death. To be a disciple of Jesus, you need to die to self and follow him no matter what the cost. 
And that's what the apostles did. And that's what God's calling us to do as well. And I trust that we will have in that moment uh, the courage to say, I've decided to follow Jesus. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning, shall we? Lord, thank you for this uh, storyline um, from the book of Acts. Lord, thank you for the, the courage of the apostles who, in the face of the threat of execution, were able to stand up in the face of the, the power structure of the day, the religious power structure, and say, I'm sorry, we're going to obey God rather than man. Lord, give us that kind of commitment. Lord, help us to uh, have the same uh, fuel that the apostles did, that uh, nothing would stop them from living for you and from sharing the good news of the gospel. So, Lord, may we be uh, committed to uh, stand for you, to live for you. Uh, May you help us to send the light of the gospel to our culture, our neighbors, um, and ultimately around the world so that people can be and know the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.